This is Alison Roberts from the Clon Bikecast, your one-stop shop for everything Clonicilty Bicycle Festival and beyond. And in this episode, I speak with Mairead Forsyth, Dublin-based cycle advocate and champion for safer streets, slower speed limits. We started off the interview by talking about Mairead's earliest memories of cycling. As a five-year-old, I went to Cork on holidays to stay with relatives and um, a cousin had a bicycle. There were a few things wrong with it, but that didn't stop me. I got up on the bicycle and I skinned my knuckles a few times, but I learned to, I learned to ride a two-wheeler all on my own. When you were five? Yeah. That's impressive. It's very impressive. In Cork as well. That's good. Yeah, there you are. Yeah, yeah. In Douglas. I'd say um, you might have had a few less things to kind of skirt around when you were in cycling around the neighborhood too. It might have been a slightly easier time to learn as a five-year-old on the roads. Well, I learned on the, my recollection is that I cycled on the footpath at that stage, but certainly as time went on as a child, not that I had access to a bike very much, but uh, we were able to, play, we played on the road as children. We played football and hurling on the road in a suburban housing estate in Dublin. And uh, so it was easier to cycle, but we used to cycle to a shop on our housing estate and the shop was all about 300 metres away by the short route. But my mother insisted that we go around three sides of a block to avoid a right hand turn. So we had to cycle about a kilometre to get to the shop, which was only 300 metres away. But we did it and we did it willingly. Instead of walking, because I'm guessing you could have walked, she would have let you walk maybe crossing the road oh, oh of course but, but who wants to walk that was boring <laughs> that's funny um so you, when did you get your first bike then when how long did you have to wait from five when i was 12 i got a bike and i myself and my sister who was only a year older than me got got them at the same time there were second-hand bikes from within the family um but we had to produce some money out of our saving post office savings account and we got a bike each and the idea was that we were going to secondary school and going to Irish college. So in the end, I went to a boarding school for a few years, but for my last two years, cycled to school in Cove. And um, we also brought our bikes to Irish college in Ballingiri in West Cork. And we cycled um, without lights, I imagine, home from Cayley's at night and generally cycled everywhere and just messed around on our bikes. How, lo- how long did the first bike, that first bike last you? Do you remember? Ooh, <laughs> sore subject. Um, it was stolen from outside my office in Dublin about seven or eight years later. And I stopped cycling for about a decade. Oh. I didn't really cycle during my 20s. Now, that wasn't the only reason. None of my friends were cycling. And I was only cycling occasionally. And um, then I, I got a motorbike. And then I got a car and um, didn't cycle very much. And then during a petrol shortage in the late 70s, I bought a bike again and started cycling to work and kept cycling to work for another 30 years. And I retired about 10 years ago from work and I still use the bike as my main mode of transport around the city to go to the shops. I walk to the shops as well and I drive occasionally. And um, I go into town quite a bit to meet friends for cycle campaign meetings and to do a bit of shopping. And I would nearly always go by bike. I might take the bus at night 
going to a social function, but generally go by bike. That's it's kind of interesting. It's interesting you said because the petrol shortage, you got back into cycling, and that's kind of what we're seeing could be happening now because of the COVID. There's so many people getting back on their bikes. It seems an opportunity for a lot of people to rediscover their love of their lost love of bikes. You see a lot more people out again, and hopefully it'll stick. Yeah, I think that's that's it. That it takes something, something sparks it. And then once you get back, well, hopefully you keep going. And I did keep going. I started um, going out up the Dublin mountains on weekend afternoons. And um, then I had to get a better bike because the bike I had had no, ge- had no gears. So I needed gears to get up a hill. And um, then I started going on cycling holidays. Yeah, tell me about, tell me about what's your favorite memory of a cycling holiday abroad or in Ireland? Where's your favorite place to cycle abroad? Let's start with that. My favorite place to cycle abroad, and I thought about this, um, I have cycled in places like um, France and Germany, or sorry, France and Germany in the Netherlands. In Germany and the Netherlands, they tend to have um, segregated cycling facilities. Um, But in France, I've done a lot more on-road cycling. And what I like about it is that the motorists respect you they give you space and the french have a phrase which they post up on the road with a picture of a cyclist and they say partageant la route yeah partageant you being canadian may understand this share the road let's share the road let's share or we share yeah yeah it's like we we we, let's share the road kind of it's kind of it's not a um direction it's it's not like a it's not a a law. It's not saying you must share the road, but it's saying let's share. This is our road. Let's share it, kind of thing. Yeah, we love cycling. We've cycled quite a bit in Brittany, and it's the same. I, I there's a lot. It's to me, it's a lot. I mean, it is a lot. The climate and everything is a lot like West Cork, but there's so many small, sec, you know, tertiary roads that you can use for cycle routes, and I think that's something that really inspires me to think what West Cork could be like if we use some of the roads that are existing that are already there for slower roads and put up signs that said let's share the road that would be amazing it would be great um and you took an epic trip uh, uh, over a, a couple of years was it around Ireland did you stretch hey, only about 10 years yeah I cycled the coast of Ireland I was inspired to do it by a book I read written by a Scotsman who um, said he'd been meeting accounts of people doing terrific cycles, but he had to work 40-something weeks, 48 weeks of the year. So he decided to cycle the coast of Scotland two weeks a year. So I started out to do that, but it didn't work like that. I did bits and pieces here and there, but over the course of about 10 years, I did the whole lot. And it was a fabulous thing to do. All the way around? All the way around, yes, yes, the whole coast, yes. Um, not always sequentially or whatever, but I, I did. I covered the whole coast. Um, I mean, the coast of Ireland is fabulous. I'll come to my favourite bit in a minute. But um, the coast of Ireland is fabulous. Um, there were lots of quiet roads. There were a few busy roads, but, you know, plenty of quiet roads. And what I tended to do, I got off the main road as much as I possibly could. And I took little side roads and little detours and um, once or twice carried a bike across a beach or something. Mm. Um, once for fun and once for a shortcut. <laughs> um, but, you know, you can, do, you can do that kind of thing on a bike, which you can't do when you're driving, obviously. But lots of the road were like 
roads are like what you would say in France, the tertiary roads. Uh, I find those kind of roads quite safe for cycling in Ireland. I find that cars aren't generally going that fast. Um, they have to be prepared for the fact that there could be an oncoming car coming around the next bend because the road isn't wide enough for two for two cars. So they can't go that fast and they're ready, if they come around a bend and see a cyclist, they're ready to slow down and give the cyclist space. So I find the very small roads, what we Irish call the Boreens, um, are very safe and pleasant for cycling. Um, when you get on to the R roads and the N roads, it's a different story. I'd, yeah, I would agree. That's my experience too. And I think part of that is tractors. <laughs> it's the constant fear of tractors. So I don't know if they're looking out for cyclists or they're afraid of a tractor coming, catching them off guard. Maybe. <laughs> you well, I, th I find tractor drivers very considerate. Um, yeah, but you don't want to catch them on a blind corner. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You don't want to catch them on a blind corner, but they, they see cyclists and they they will pull in if the occasion allows and they would appreciate if a cyclist pulls in for them. Yeah, absolutely. No, I was saying the cars are probably driving slower on the Boreens because cars cars and tractors can't pass. It's, it's tricky. Well, this time of the year, they'd need to be aware of tractors, yeah. Yeah, I think the slow vehicle priority lanes is something that we really have that would be possible down here. Tractors and bikes together sharing the road. Um, so yeah, go on. Tell me about um, your favourite part of your coastal trip. Ah, um, the Beira Peninsula. And I've cycled it several times, not just on that trip, but on several other occasions. I just I, think it's absolutely fabulous. It's, I was going to say, as long as it's in, in Cork, so that's okay. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry. It is in Cork. Um, my second favourite is um, the Sheep's Head Peninsula. Sheep's Head also neighbouring the, the neighbouring. Yeah. yeah. Right. And after that, I'll get um, diplomatic and mention my favourites in Connacht and Ulster and Leinster. But um, certainly my favourite in Ireland is the Beira Peninsula. It's we've, a tough site. Fabulous. We've, we've lived here for 12 years. And um, I think maybe, I don't know, was it um, seven or eight years ago? We were in Dublin. It just happened to be my birthday before we had Ari. And we said we, we should go for a cycle. And we asked the friends we're staying with, where should we cycle? And they said, go up to to Hoth and we'd never we didn't even know Hoth existed because we were you know I'm Canadian and we cycled that up to the Hoth and all the way around and it absolutely blew my mind how beautiful Dublin can be on a bike and how quickly you can get out of the city and be in nature on a bike and so I will I will counter your Cork compliment with a Dublin compliment I just think cycling in Dublin can, is there's actually some really beautiful cycles and parks as well in Dublin it's a great city it has enormous potential and it's already great as it is so more of it so uh, it's a great potential yes i wonder if you could tell me a bit then about how you got inspired and to do more advocacy for cycling um and was there anything that in particular that sparked that i think i was a cyclist and i was an enthusiastic cyclist and i thought other people should cycle i thought cycling was the solution to a lot of problems for a, a working a working a working parent in Dublin. Um, as I say, I commuted for 30 years, during which I had two children. And um, during those very busy years when you know I was working and I had children, even though I had my husband was at home most of the time looking after them, um, it was still a very demanding time. So I found that, first of all, that it was great that cycling to work kept me fit. Um, 
it um, helped me um, it helped me to unwind coming home in the evenings and that gap between a busy working life and a busy home life. Um, it was quicker, it was more reliable, um, it was more environmentally friendly, but then I, I enjoyed cycling as well. So I was, I also found that in Dublin, um, public transport, well, can be good, can be bad in patches, but one of the problems is if you have to, if you have to change routes, the orbital routes are very poor in Dublin. So if you have to change buses, it really, it really adds to your commuting time. So I found that cycling was a great way of getting over that problem. And I used to recommend it to other people who would say, oh, what'll happen if I have to go and work in that place? How will I get there? And I'd say, get yourself a bike. So that I think got me into the whole thing that there should be more people cycling and I, that the roads should be made more safe and more pleasant for cycling. And I had found that places like Rathmines Road, um, when I started cycling to work, there were two lanes of traffic each way and it was very difficult to get through them on a bike. And then they put in a bike lane and it was so much easier. Um, I had been avoiding it using back roads, but started using the main road again because it was a bike lane. So I just got interested in the whole issue of cycling and cycling advocacy and looking for better facilities for cyclists and building things like the, you were talking about Dublin being a great place. It has great potential. And the S to West route in Dublin, Sutton to Sandy Cove, Clara Clark was campaigning for that. And you're you're currently sorry you're currently sitting on the board, aren't you, of the of the Dublin cycling campaign? I'm on the board of the Dublin cycling campaign. I am indeed. How long have you been involved with that group? Um, well, I've been on the board for about three or four years. Well, I became active in the campaign in about 2013 um, because I went to a meet a local meeting about Temple Oak Village. And there was a very negative attitude to cycling at it. So I immediately responded to an email I had got from the cycling campaign a week or two previously, looking for people to volunteer to work on a group in South Dublin County. And I said, here I am, I'm in. I'm so annoyed by the attitude at that meeting. Yeah, that's all it takes. One meeting, you get fired up. Yeah. Um, um, so, you know, I started going to the meetings. I started getting involved. I started... Um, meeting up with council officials. I started canvassing councillors and council officials on cycling infrastructure. And did you have a background in working with, with council? No. Had you had no prior experience really with that? Because I find that the hardest. Uh, well, I did have an interest. Um, I was a civil servant and civil servants are prohibited from getting involved in politics. So I couldn't be political about lobbying. I couldn't lob, lobby politically. But um, in the course of my studies of public administration, I had done some specialization on local authority matters. So I was familiar with local authority structures. And partly because I was working in the public sphere and partly because of a family connection, I was very interested in politics. So um, when I got involved in cycle campaigning, I think I got. I enjoy the idea that now that I was no longer a civil servant, I could engage with councillors yeah. and I could lobby them. Right. And, um, because I was interested, I've, I'm able. I managed to find my way around the system, not always successfully, but you know, um, it does. It does help to have an interest in it. So um, that's how I did it, and I lobbied councillor councillors in particular. Um, I've lobbied. You know, when I say lobby, lobby them. I have written to. 
all the councillors in the country at one stage about 30 kilometre in our speed limits. Yeah, that's what I want to talk to you about. So at what point in your, your kind of cycle mission to get more people on bikes, did you kind of realise or did you start focusing on speed limits as a, a main issue? I know at one point you told me when you were cycling into Skibbereen, you really noticed the speed people were going on that road. And um, how come that was one of the main, a lot of people go into infrastructure and bike lanes, and but you really seem to have focused on speed limits. Why is that, do you think? Serendipity. Um, I, I told you I was engaging with South Dublin County Council and I had um, gotten, gotten involved in writing a few submissions about proposals for cycling infrastructure in the county. And um, there was a, they published a consultation on proposed 30 kilometre speed limits in residential estates. And I, somebody said to me, will you, will you start working on that submission? And I said, oh, yeah, OK, so I will. And I ended up doing the submission. And it was the first... South Dublin County Council, I think, was the first in that kind of round of speed limit reviews to propose 30 kilometre an hour speed limits. And they had a very good proposal. They put it in in nearly every residential road in the county. And um, one thing led to another. I went to a 20th Plenty conference in the UK because somebody else had been and seemed to think it was good. And that's 20s, 20 kilometres an hour. That's 20 miles an hour in the US. 20 miles. Oh, good. Yeah, right. So is that equivalent nearly? Yeah. It's the equivalent. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it's slightly different. 30, 30 kilometers is only 18 miles, but it's the same thing. Yeah. And um, it just, and then a group at the same time, the cycling campaign had been, it was one of the core demands of the cycling campaign that we want to 30 kilometer in our speed limits and had been successful in getting a small bit of 30 kilometers an hour in the center of Dublin city. And it was, you know, one of the platforms on which we campaigned. And we decided that the time was ripe to set up a separate campaign. And we decided we would, you know, set up a group to campaign for 30 kilometers an hour speed limits. And we engaged with other groups who would be interested in 30 kilometers an hour speed limits. Um, in spe specifically people who are interested in pedestrian rights and people who are interested in children's right to play. Yes. Um, so we spread the net out to these groups. I think that was very important because it wasn't just about cycling. It was yep. about people. Yep. And for all that, some of those groups actually fell away and most of the core campaigners are still cyclists. Um, but I think it's changed our focus from not just cycling, but to being all people using the road. And I think that's been very important to the development of the Love 30 campaign, that we have included everybody and try to represent everybody's interests in looking for lower speed limits. You're listening to the Clon Bikecast. Today, Alison's talking to Mairead Forsyth from the Dublin Cycling Campaign and the Love 30 campaign. Check out our other episodes in this series on how to create safer, more livable streets for cyclists and pedestrians. You can subscribe to our podcast and send us a note if you want to get involved with any of the ideas that we're putting forward at clonbikefest at gmail.com. And now on with the interview. Love 30 campaign, when did that start then? 
How long has that been going? Started in 2015, as I say, a group of us got together and then we, we, we tried to get a name. And I think we were very lucky with the name we came up with. Um, it was one of our group, Mirror No D, suggested it that we call ourselves Love 30. And I think that name has drawn people in and it's kind of almost Positive. become a slogan. Um, and it's been copied, would you believe it, by Love 30 Canada. Oh, great. My native land. Very good. That's great. Oh, that's great. I'll have to hook up with some cycling advocates over there and spread the love, spread the love 30. Well, it's something that I've only recently found out about because I think here on the edges of Ireland, we don't um, get a lot of the campaigning efforts down here. And we're, I suppose, the main local advocates for cycling. But we have been trying to network more with the same reason with pedestrian advocacy groups and people who are interested in kids and schools and safe you know safe play areas and I think you're absolutely right and I, I think that's why the campaign's been such a success because it's not about it's not an us versus them it's just a our community and how we live in our community and it's we, you can be a pedestrian one day you can be a cyclist the next day and the next day you can be a driver but we all need to live in this shared space and we need to make sure that it's you know when you are on foot especially you feel safe um, what you recently, just while we're on Love 32, you guys recently have, you had some very good news in Dublin, don't you, for your campaign? Oh, yes, we have indeed. Dublin City Council is the first local authority in Ireland and not many local authorities around the world have done it to introduce 30 kilometres an hour as the default limit in the city. So it means that it's 30 kilometres an hour unless it says, it says otherwise. And also... <laughs> How will they tell people that? How will they that message get out? So there won't be signs necessarily that says 30. Well, they will change the sign, signage on the approaches to the city and they will be putting up 30 as the, as the limit. Um, it will be a challenge because I think a lot of people aren't aware of it, so I think they'll have to do a lot of publicity on it um, and they will have to have a lot of signage. They do have a slogan, which I think has been fantastic, um, D30 by 20. You know that in Dublin we have um, district numbers of from something like 1 to 24. Yeah. So yeah. I live in D6, but so D30 is, there's no district called D30. They're postal districts, so it's D30, mm -hmm. which is Dublin B30 by 2020. So I think they'll use slogans like that to get the message across to people. They'll have signs on the outskirts of the city. Um, Dublin is a 30 kilometre zone and they will just have to advertise it and hopefully we will get the Gardaí to enforce it. Congratulations. That is amazing. Congratulations. So you, so that name, that name then they've come up with a few years ago. So that this, for Dublin in specifically, has been in the pipeline for quite a while. Yeah. And do you, do you think the COVID pushed it through, the COVID lockdown? Yes, I think the COVID helped. Um, I think Dublin City Council have been very, very proactive in making the streets more people-friendly and safer during COVID. I think they have really realised that they have a responsibility to keep the streets safe, that people queuing for public transport, people walking and cycling to avoid using public transport um, really need to have safe streets. I think they have taken the opportunity of COVID to bring in 
um, road safety and pedestrian and cyclist friendly measures that they probably would have liked to do anyway. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's it's great to have a positive coming out from this, really. Um, and yeah, it is great. I mean, the yeah. Dublin City Council officials have been very positive and very um, determined that they wanted to get 30 kilometres an hour in in the city. I think that's been huge. Um, I also think that more and more councillors have come to support it initially. Maybe there weren't that many councillors supporting it, but um, I think you know the, the whole the whole of the strategic policy committee councillors and the county and the council itself voted unanimously in favour. So it just shows that you know that's what the councillors are thinking. That's what the people are telling councillors they want. Yeah, and absolutely. people want lower speeds where they live. It's it's a yimby. You know, yes, in my backyard. Yes. We want them where we live. We mightn't want them where we drive. So, and maybe, hopefully, the idea is that there might be a little bit of a domino effect because the other major cities might see Dublin doing it and now it's kind of been, hopefully, paved the way. I'm just wondering, in a small town like Clonakilty, rural Ireland, it's a very different situation because we only have, we have so, you know, we have f- fewer main roads that go around the town and they're often... D- either the main road where the cars want to go very fast, but also some of the main roads that cyclists need to use because they're the only roads. So just wondering, how do you think Love 30 as a campaign, like if we set Love 30 Clonakilty or Love 30 West Cork, how do you think that could benefit this area? Well, I think um, 30 kilometre speed limits would certainly benefit the centre of the town, the commercial areas of the town. Like it's a no-brainer that the commercial area of the town... First of all, it needs to be revitalised. All, all Irish town centres have suffered. And I think they need to be revitalised. And I think one way they would be revitalised would be by making them more pleasant places for people to move around. And, you know, the, the research shows that when you reduce traffic and lower speed limits and make the place more pedestrian and bicycle friendly, that more people come into a town centre to shop. So I think... You know, the centre of the town, it's a no-brainer that it should be 30 kilometres an hour. There should be restrictions on restrictions on access, one-way systems, cycle lanes, that it should all be a slower, quiet, there should be a slower, quieter atmosphere in the town so that people will be attracted to go in, to spend money in the shops, to go to the, go to the restaurants and the coffee shops and to wander around and see the town. So I think any any town, small or big, doesn't matter what size it is, uh, even in tiny villages, um, you know, I think they need to be given a sense of place that people know that this village, this is a village and it's a place where people move around and where people live. Um, even villages on main roads, I think, should have traffic calming and that cars should have to slow down coming through small small villages and small towns. Yeah, and it, it brings the noise down too, doesn't it? It does. It does, yes. Noise, noise pollution is a huge factor, yes. yes. Lower speed limits um, reduce reduce noise pollution and reduce air pollution, which again is a problem in our towns. But um, more in the cities, than the, well, it's more serious in cities um, that the air pollution from traffic is quite serious. And it's one of the things we've seen with COVID that um, places... People who live in places that have a lot of air pollution 
suffer more serious effects from COVID than people who live in places with less pollution. So it's another reason to try and reduce pollution in towns. Absolutely. Um, and so if I wanted to start by campaigning, say, for the main street in Quanakilty to get a 30 kilometre an hour Love 30 campaign going, what steps would you advise me to take? And kind of what support is the greater campaign group available to small groups? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing would be to start talking to your neighbours, your friends, your fellow parents. Um, the like-minded people you can identify that you've hinted at some of you are, you know, people who are interested in the same things, the local businesses, um, you know, just to talk to them first and see if they're interested. And then if, if you can persuade a few of them that, yes, this is a good idea, it's quite likely a lot more people would support than what you're aware of. And then I would say, draw up a petition. We have a sample petition on the Love 30 website. But, you know, you don't have to be guided, you know, you don't have to use that. But basically what you say is we, the people, the residents, the parents, the business people, whatever, of, you know, Clonakilty, um, call on our local authority to introduce a 30 kilometre north speed limit and you get as many signatures as you possibly can and as big a variety of signatures. You know, you get the, as I say, you get the people who live there, the people who own the businesses, the you know, the Chamber of Commerce, the business associations, the school, the schools, teachers, the parents in the school, whatever, get as much, as many of the people and the people who have invested, you know, the stakeholders in the town, as many of those as possible. Yeah. Um, get them to sign it, um, get coverage in local media. I mean, it's something that in Dublin we envy rural campaigns for that you can actually get on local radio and get coverage in the local newspaper where it's, it's very difficult to get coverage on national radio and national newspapers and the other thing you have so your website the the love 30 love 30.ie if anybody wants to look into it uh, in the resource section you also have a, a powerpoint presentation too isn't it that people yeah which you know you can get a group together you know um, and, show, and show, show the presentation or just encourage people to watch it. Watch it, But I would say get a group together and show it. Um, that's a great way of, you know, just bringing home to people the idea that, you know, it's a no-brainer that 30 kilometres an hour is so much safer than 50. And on there you have statistics to support the research and how it's, it's you know, it's good for... It's good for everyone. It's good for pedestrians. It's good for car drivers. Um, it's almost some some ways, I think, quite good for car drivers so they don't feel rushed because sometimes you get frustrated if you're in a car and everything's slowed down. But if it's 30 kilometers, you kind of just relax into it and go, okay, it's just 30 through here because this is a place where there might be pedestrians and, and car um, cyclists. So I think it is kind of, it's even though it's slower, I think it's puts you in a different mindset as a driver, which relaxes you into absorbing the fact that you're in a place where there's people, lots of people moving around. And gives you more of an opportunity to look around and see what's going yeah. on. So you see the child about to throw a tantrum and run away from, and take the hand off the, off the buggy and run away. So it do, yes, no, definitely. Um, and it does make it more relaxing for drivers. And that's what makes, that's what means that they feel more of a sense of connection with their local area if they're going slowly or more of a connection with their local estate if they're driving in their local estate. So um, it is good. And if you can persuade people of that, and you know, the thing about it is that most European countries, I mean, you mentioned cycling in Brittany, 
every village in Brittany has a 30 kilometre an hour speed limit. They don't have ramps on the way into the village. No, 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 no. They're much more subtle. They have a few planters or a little chicane or something sticking out outside the school. Or they have, you know, these kind of chicanes where the road narrows and the cyclists have a little ramp of their own so that they're separated from the traffic. Or occasionally they will have a traffic light in the middle of the town that doesn't serve any purpose just to get traffic to slow down. So if you're going into a small French village, you may find yourself stopped at traffic lights that you're not quite sure why the lights are there. And it's there to slow you down. Yeah, we had a lot of that traveling around in our van last. We had a van trip last year and there was a lot of those amazing lights just like stop you for an indefinite amount of time. And it's just, and I mean, they say speed cameras too are there to keep an eye on you. But equally, um, what do you think about speed bumps and culverts? Are they good ways to slow people down too? That Well, a lot of people don't like ramps and, you know, they complain about the effects they have on the suspension of their cars. And they, uh, I've heard um, that emergency services don't like them because they may have to go fast. Um, I think that we need a variety of traffic calming. I mean, Absolutely. the important thing is to make the road look narrow. You could do it by having trees, you know, the, you know, a lovely arch of trees across the road that just gives you a sense of narrowing and peace that can be as effective as a speed ramp and more acceptable to people. I mean, I think ramps. They've just done that along our, our um, ring road. They've put in, a, uh, and just today I went out cause all the, you know, all the trees are now in leaf and I had, I'd seen them when they didn't have leaves and I didn't get the effect. Now that the leaves are on it, you kind of get that, oh, this is actually, you know, they've done a good job making it seem like you're in a space, like a town, you're not on a highway anymore. It feels like you've come into a town. I appreciate they've done that. I think it's a nice addition. It's nice to see trees anyway, less concrete. Well, it's nice It's nice to see trees, but it does have that effect. Whereas if you've got a big open road, it's kind of, it's asking people to drive fast. And then it makes it very frightening for, very frightening for people on bicycles. And a place where people won't go walking, people won't bring their children for fear that they will run out in front of a car. So, you know, trees are brilliant. Absolutely, for giving the traffic calming effect and for absorbing the noise. Absolutely, yeah. Um, thank you, Mairead. And I just, I am aware of our time now and I just wanted to ask you to wrap up. Maybe you could give us an example of um, a, an action you did or something that you did to promote Love 30 that worked well that might give us some inspiration. Well, one thing we did was in on Agar, the slowdown day, we have a speed gun which we haven't used as much as we should, but I mean, it's, um, it was very effective on this occasion. We brought the gun, the speed gun to a local school outside which there is a 30 kilometre an hour limit. And we dressed the kids up in Love 30 t-shirts. We've lovely white t-shirts with red hearts in the front of them. So the kids love, love the kids love t-shirts. And um, we let the kids measure the speed of the cars going fast. And the lovely thing in this occasion was nobody exceeded the speed limit, which was very nice because it was nice for the kids to be proud of their parents that they didn't drive too fast. And we took photos and the teachers put the photos up on social media and um, we gave them stickers to take home and that would include stickers for the parents' cars. So, you know, that kind of, it's just advertising that 30 kilometres is good. And you know, the other thing that I know some of my colleagues have done in schools is that they've gone into schools and they've got 
children to draw posters and then they've had a kind of a session outside the school where they're all standing with their with their posters saying love 30 slow down say, slow down save lives and this really you know it gives the children a great you know children are great um, messengers and they take the message on board they understand the message and they like it and they bring that home to their parents and more or less shame the parents into driving slowly I think and you know can then encourage the parents who are involved in residence associations to look for 30 kilometers an hour so definitely the the events outside schools are great and if you're thinking of doing this in I would say get involved with the local school um, you know get the children drawing their posters you know get stickers done, just get them, you know, and give them the petition to bring home to their parents to sign. I think that's a great way to get to get community involvement. That That's very good. That's got me thinking. Thank you. The, uh, we have uh, Kath Russell, who is our local Green School coordinator. We've already done some stuff with her, so I'll get in touch with Kath. And I know um, I'm going to do an interview soon enough with Alison Phillips from Green Schools to talk a bit more about how to work with Green Schools, because I think they are an, a fantastic organization who do great work, like doing the mapping the school routes and the safest route to school. And then if we could really get that stuff and take it to our local councillors, I think that would be really powerful too, to show this has come out of a program, you know, to get the kids engaged in their community and the kids can tell us what they need to feel safe. And I think it's, we have to listen to them when they tell us what they, how they need to feel safe in their town. I think you you have to listen. I think that's very important. And you've also got the new development, a thing called School Streets. Um, We've got one in Ireland in Malahide, but a few other local authorities are looking at it. And the idea is that, you know, you you look at the approach to school and you try and close down, you try and close off some of the streets to traffic around the school and slow all the traffic in the area to 30 kilometres an hour so that children can make their own way to school independently, whether it's walking, scooting, cycling, whatever. Um, But you, you just keep the traffic away from the school so that the children can do it safely and that the parents will, won't be afraid to let them do it. Because that's one of the big things you have is parental fear. So you've got to eliminate, eliminate the parental fear. And the school streets are a great way to do that. And that's part of, um, there's the change our street hashtag, which is similar as well. And um, the one I recently heard, playful a playful city is similar as well, isn't it? That's Dublin based for bringing attention to kids and that we should, the street should be a, pl- a place that where people can engage with the landscape and feel safe and sit on benches to walk across the town. And sh- I heard an interview and they were talking about skateboarders being able to look at city infrastructure and be able to use the space as a playful space, not a space that's just about rushing to and fro all the time. So there's some amazing movements happening in Ireland, I think. It's really positive. Yeah, a playful streets are a great, a great organisation, and they say they, I think, were short of, short of people there for a while, but they seem to have revived, and um, it's great to see them coming because you know children should be out in the fresh air playing, and it's one of the things you know that COVID has brought to light that the children are doing are indoors too much, and they're also being shepherded around to organised activities. And really, they should have more freedom just to get out and roam and make up their own game, invent their own games and enforce the rules themselves rather than have everything overseen, overseen by parents or adults or teachers or coaches or whatever. 
and watching out of fear to ensure their safety. So absolutely, yeah. So 30 kilometer an hour zones is definitely one way that we can make this, the streets safer. A huge factor. It's a big one. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Maraid. Um, and I look forward to working with you guys a bit more. And I, I wonder, is it okay for people to, how would people best get in touch with Love 30 campaign if they wanted to do a campaign in their neighborhood and wanted to ask for some advice? If they want to ask for advice, um, they can go to our website, www.love30.ie. Um, and if they want to contact us directly, it's info at love30.ie is the email address. And again, the petition and the presentation are both there for anyone to kind of take and use as they wish. And, you know, a few more things telling telling people about the benefit the benefits and um, the myth busters on the presentation. There's a set of myth busters because, you know, when you propose something like this, the cynics will argue against it. So that's all there. And we also there's also a lot of resources on the 20s Plenty, 20s Plenty for Us site in the UK. 20, 20 miles an hour is plenty for us and um, there's lots of resources there as well for people who are thinking you know things like um, at a local event you could organize um, something but you know a competition about breaking distance for people to show people pictures and estimate how long it would take a car to stop yes yeah and the hard facts around the impacts of like how many you know the death basically the deaths on compared to how fast you're going. There was a massive campaign when I was living in Canada on that too, the difference in speed and the difference in the fatality rate. Um, that's all in that presentation. Those are the hard facts. They're in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, all so right. look at the website or email us and we'll try and help you. And if you want to get a campaign going, Clannic Kilty, you'll have our support. You've been listening to the Clon Bikecast. Special thanks to Maraid Forsyth this week from the Love 30 campaign. And a big shout out and thanks to Justin Grounds, my co-host, who did all the editing and music. Please subscribe to our podcast. We're going to be doing quite a few more in this series on creating safer streets for cycling and pedestrians. And feel free to drop us a line at clonbikefest at gmail.com.